When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of those that a podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. Another early start, my boy. Yeah, I know. It's it's solid not starting at like, you know, 9.30, 10, sometimes even 10.30 at night. And, you know, we're looking like zombies by the end of it. So, or at least sounded like zombies because, you know, some of those late night records gets a little tricky. It's just be hitting and not in a good way. Yeah. But no, starting off at a good time today, but we're kind of like in that stage of the week where we're still about a week and some change from the Super Bowl. So we're in a little bit of a lull period with the NFL, but that doesn't mean that we don't have things to talk about because the NFL offseason has started. We've got some storylines from there. Uh, we also are approaching the trade deadline in the NBA, and we are approaching the All-Star break for the NHL. So all in all, things are kind of winding down a little bit in summer sports, in some sports. NBA is still going strong, but Kev, we got a lot to get to today. Are you ready to dive into it? Yes, sir. All right. So first things first, we'll go over something that popped up a couple days ago. Tom Brady has announced that he will officially retire from the NFL. Uh, there hasn't been anything official with him potentially signing a one day contract with either the Bucks or the Patriots, but Maybe that's something that we'll see manifest over, I would say, the next coming days or coming weeks or so. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, Sean Payton is going to be the new head coach of the Denver Broncos. Uh, the, the Broncos had a terrible year last year. They finished in last place in the AFC West. So they're looking to improve on things going into next year. And maybe Sean Payton's their guy to change the culture uh, wholesale in Denver. After that, we'll, we'll kick it over to a little bit of some Super Bowl coverage. Uh, we're just going to talk about Andy Reid. We're going to talk about the impact that he's brought, not only to the Chiefs, but his overall stature as an NFL head coach. Uh, he had great success with the Eagles uh, starting in the late 90s, going all the way to the 2010s. And now as a member of Chiefs coaching personnel, he's been phenomenal since day one as the, as the Chiefs head coach. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Then we'll dive into some off-season fixes for some teams uh, that were in the playoffs uh, earlier in this playoff stretch, uh, but got eliminated earlier on. The two teams that we'll go over will be the Chargers and the Dolphins. And then after that, we'll kick it over to the NBA. We are approaching the trade deadline. So Kevin and I will kind of do a buy slash sell since we're only about what? Kevin, we're like six, seven days away. I think it's on the 9th in February. Yep. So we are approaching that trade deadline pretty quickly. So... We'll do like a buy-sell segment there, and then we will round out the episode with some winners and losers of the NHL season so far since we are transitioning into the All-Star Game weekend uh, in hockey. But that will cover uh, the agenda for today, so let's not waste any more time. Kev, got to talk about my boy. He's on the wall bet there. I know. I know. We, we did this last him. year, ironically enough. So To the T, 
February 1st, he retired last year. He retired yep. officially February 1st this year. So I will present this to you as this is your GOAT, your favorite player of all time. Kyle, with Tom Brady, with what seems to be an official retirement looming in the next couple of days in terms of official, um, how do you feel with him hanging it up after 23 full seasons? I think it's time. And I remember around this time last year, we were debating on whether or not that he would come back. And I was of the mindset that there was a really good chance that he would come back knowing that the type of season that he had last year where he threw for 43 touchdowns and over 5,000 yards passing. you know, And that was despite the fact that he was 44 years old at that time of the season. So, But this year, it just did not work out. Uh, the way that he anticipated, that the way the, the Bucks anticipated it. Granted, they did make the playoffs, but it was a pretty quick exit from the playoffs, getting eliminated by the Cowboys. And I think he saw the writing on the wall. I think he's just at a point in his life where I think he is extinguished as much as he can from the game. I mean, for God's sake, Kev, I mean, the guy has been out there on the field for half of his life. And I think at this point... I, I still believe that there's a competitive fire within him, but I think just the way that this year went, I think that definitely extinguished that that competitive drive a little bit just because, you know, when you finish eight and nine, that's not usually something that we see from a Tom Brady-led team. And I think, you know, all the personal stuff that took place outside of the football field, I think it definitely had an impact. And, you know, going through a public divorce like he did with Giselle, I don't think that that uh, I don't think that that helped him uh, really stay focused the entire season. I think there's some things that he's probably going to address outside of football, uh, probably over the next couple months. And I know that he's got the the gig for Fox for ten years, where he's going to be in the broadcast booth. So that will be the next step of his professional career. But I mean, Kev. Tom Brady's leaving the game as the greatest football player, I think, in NFL history. And the way that I see it was he just was able to establish consistency and dominance for such a long period of time that, to be quite honest with you, Kev, I don't think we'll ever see it again. You know, to go out on the field for over 20 years, win seven Super Bowls, appear in 10 Super Bowl, to appear in 10 Super Bowls, go to over a dozen conference championships, win three MVPs, win five Super Bowl MVPs, and then you have somewhere in between 35 to 40 NFL records that are solely held by him. He's not only the GOAT of quarterbacks as far as I'm concerned. That debate was over after he got the fifth one when the Patriots came back against the Falcons when they were down 28-3. to I'm of the mindset that he's the greatest football player ever. And we even said that last year. So, and there's just one more element that, that I want to hit with Brady, uh, just to, about his overall stature that I think he holds in the league and that I think that he'll continue to hold in the league. He redefined how we measure greatness in the NFL. Because after Brady got his third Super Bowl early in, in his career, there was this argument about whether or not that he was on this sort of like greatest quarterback of all time trajectory and that really kind of came to a head when he had that 2007 season where he threw for 50 touchdowns and led the Patriots to an undefeated regular season where they fell short against the Giants in Super Bowl 42 and then 
you keep on going, you know, for 10 years without a Super Bowl, but still maintaining excellence that entire time. And then you finish the career with what? Going to like four or five Super Bowls within like a six-year span. I believe he went four and one in five Super Bowl appearances from like 2015 to 2021. And he essentially shattered the mold because before Brady, everybody measured Joe Montana as the greatest quarterback of all time. And now that Brady has seven Super Bowls, I, I mean, the glass ceiling was shattered. And the way that we are going to evaluate quarterbacks as, you know, guys that could potentially rival what Brady did in his career, you have to get at least like three or four Super Bowls to even be in the discussion. You know, you look back 15, 20 years ago, quarterbacks that won one or two Super Bowls were in that discussion. And then Brady just took it to a whole new level. And to be quite honest with you, I don't know if there's anybody who's really going to challenge what Brady did in his career. The only person I could think of right now that's in contention for it, or at least could be in the hunt for it, is probably Patrick Mahomes. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is in that discussion anymore. Um, you know, Peyton Manning is one of the, the, the best quarterbacks I've seen in NFL history, especially during a regular season, but he, he's not the greatest of all time. You could look to other quarterbacks. I mean, Terry Bradshaw had, had four Super Bowls. Joe Montana is still widely regarded as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but it's just, you know, moving on forward, I don't know who's going to be able to eclipse what Brady did in his career. It's just that he set, he set the bar so high that I don't know if anybody is ever going to reach it. And the fact that he played for 20 plus years, I don't think anybody's going to be able to have that type of longevity because we look at quarterbacks that recently hit the age of 40 and even played beyond 40. You know, you can look at like Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, like they were still playing, but they weren't holding the same standard that they did 10 years prior. You could make a very valid case that Brady played better in his 40s than he did in his 20s. And the stats would indicate that. He actually threw for more passing yards in his 40s than he did in his 20s. So as far as I see it, you know, Brady's my favorite player of all time, you know, and, and trust me, there's a little bit of bias that goes along with that. I, I'm aware of that. But to me, the way that I see it was that he was able to maintain his excellence for over 20 years and as far as I'm concerned, there was really no dip in his overall production. Granted, this year it didn't really work out, but I don't think that was him. And I'm still of the mindset that he could play at a high level if he were to come back next year, which I don't actually see happening. I think that he is completely done uh, with playing football in the NFL. But no, it, as far as I see it, Brady's the GOAT, not only of quarterbacks, but I think in the NFL. So, you know, we're 100 plus years in the NFL and to witness what Brady did game in and game out for pretty much my entire life at this point. I, honestly, it's a tip of, tip of the cap to the guy. The guy was phenomenal. And for the fact that he did it so long, I don't think anybody's going to, I don't think anybody's going to challenge him. I think he's in a, he's in a category all by himself. And honestly, I don't think anything is really going to persuade me unless I see somebody rival it. And at this point, it's going to be a long time before we see anybody do that. So, Kev, the floor is yours. Obviously, I mean, well, Sabo's featured in the episode today. He's just kind of chilling. Um, as somebody who hates 
or hated Tom Brady, right? You know, somebody who was a fan of the Colts, is a fan of the Colts, and, and constantly ran into him year in and year out to get routed or get, you know, kind of like exited, to put it politely, out of the playoffs. Um, it was frustrating. But again, when you're young, and you don't understand, and all you see is your team lose to the same guy over and over, it's like you start to hate them because it's like we can't get past them. But as I got older, similar to what I've said about LeBron James, is you have to start to appreciate the greatness, as Kyle alluded to, all the records, the Super Bowls, the MVPs, the, 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 the records. I mean, you, when you play 23 years, it's bound to happen record-wise, but to maintain the level of play that he did for as long as he did, to have very little to no dips in his career outside of the 2008 ACL injury, which again wasn't a dip, that was just an injury that it happens in the league. And then to kind of come right back and, and again, just kind of be consistent within at least playoff appearances for the Patriots, have the dynasty that he had and, and continue to play at the level that he did. It's, it's, it's never been done in sports. We haven't seen this other than LeBron James. Like literally, those two are the greatest athletes to probably ever pick up a respective basketball and football. And the way that Tom did it, how he did it, very vocal leader, sometimes, in my opinion, a little bit too vocal how he was coming across yelling at coaches and personnel, but some would say that that's just how you get a team riled up, but that's neither here nor there. Um, what Tom Brady meant to the sport of football is something that really can't be put into words. I mean, Kyle said it. He broke the mold when it comes to the pedigree of football that he brought to the table. And I mean, just winning. When you think of Tom Brady, winner. That's all you can really say. And I know that Kyle went into a lot more detail because, again, that was his favorite player. He was on his team, so he can give a lot more of an emotional connection to him. But as, a, as somebody that appreciates sports, as somebody who loves the game of football, whenever you think of football, you got to think of Tom Brady because of what he's been able to do for the NFL, for his career, for two organizations. I mean, when he came to Tampa, everybody was like, oh, the system, was, it was all Belichick. It was all the New England Patriots and da-da-da-da. Wins the Super Bowl first year in Tampa. Comes within a score of going back to the NFC Championship last year when the Rams won the Super Bowl. This year fell short. Injuries, offensive line play, play calling. I mean, there's a million things. I mean, Tom Brady didn't play great either. But again, I agree with Kyle. If he were to come back again, I wouldn't even be surprised because I think that he could still do it. But I think this time just meant a little bit. I think like what, what, what Kyle had stated in terms of uh, the personal reasons when everything that happened with Giselle, the kids, the divorce, the Bucks struggling, his performance teetering a little bit. I think he finally said, you enough's enough. I got to hang it up. I can keep dragging this out year after year and holding everybody hostage to wait on me. But I mean, Tom made a good decision after the 23rd year, turning 46 or 47, whatever the age is going to be uh, if next year were to begin or when next year begins. Uh, I think he's he, he did it right. He did it clean aside from Deflate Gate, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, and uh, I, I, I like... Kyle said, you know, like realistically, I, I tipped the cap again as a football fan. What he was able to do for football was just incredible. And I'm happy that I was able to witness the greatest football player of all time in my lifetime. Yeah. And when we went over this last year, it was a, probably a little bit more emotional for me. But I think this time around, just with the way that the season had ended for the Bucks and for him personally, I think the writing was on the wall uh, just with really the turnover that the Bucks are going through on their whole offensive coaching personnel right now. I mean, Kev, they essentially just gutted their entire coaching personnel on the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, I don't know if Brady would really be open to going back to that. I think I was looking at a report before we started recording. I think the only team that he 
legitimately consider going back to if he were to play next year would have been Tampa. I don't think he would have thought about going to another team next year. So I know that there were some rumors about him potentially being linked to Vegas, uh, maybe San Francisco, but I, I just based off of that report that I read prior to recording, I think it would have only been Tampa or just flat out retirement. But no, I mean, look, you know, Brady's my guy. And, um, you know, every Sunday, you know, I got the privilege to be able to watch him display his greatness week in and week out. And you know, the fact that he was able to do it for so long, you know, honestly, Kev, when, when we talk about quarterbacks, 10, 15 years ago, had guys played into their late 30s, they would have been pushing it. The fact that Brady went all the way to 45 and was still able to maintain a level of play that was comparable or even better than the quarterback talent that we have in the NFL currently, it's unprecedented. I don't know if any quarterback is going to be able to play up to the level that he did if they even get that far. See, And that's where I think that Brady's just going to be an anomaly. Because I don't know if any quarterback, even Mahomes, is going to reach that point in his career where he's going to be pushing 40, 45 and continue to play at that level. You know, we'll see what happens with Mahomes' career if he could be able to at least make a challenge in what Brady did in his overall career. But as of right now, Brady's going to be... Those those records are going to be intact for a, quite a long time. And I think those 40-year-old records, I don't think those are falling off. I think Brady's going to hold those pretty much until the end of time. Unless, you know... If we're talking about quarterbacks, you know, 20, 30 years from now, whether just the 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 medical side of things or just the overall training and rehab processes are, are so improved where you can extend the life of a quarterback in the NFL into those mid-40s like he did, you know, then maybe we'll see if that changes. But no, I, I mean, Kev, I remember we had a segment last year about this. And as far as I see it, you know, Brady's one of the, the greatest players in like North American sports. You know, he's right alongside guys. Granted, you know, we're talking about different sports. He's in that same category of Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan. And then for baseball, you'd have to either consider like Babe Ruth or Hank Aaron. Like he's in that group. And just what he what he was able to establish, I mean, you can make a very credible case that he's the best one out of all of them. Granted, he didn't possess the athletic skills like those other guys did. But the fact that he was able to execute at such a high level for such a long time, a case could be made. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate. I'm not going to see my guy on Sundays anymore. But I'm pretty, club, bud. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty satisfied with, with what he was able to bring in, game in and game out. You know, damn near 25 years on the field, dude. But I think I started watching him when I was like five five or six years old. I'm 27. I turned 28 in March. So you're talking 20 plus years. I ain't mad about that. So, no. you know, once again, you know, congratulations to Tom Brady uh, on a phenomenal career. Uh, he's going to be a walk-in Hall of Famer in 2028. I mean, there's going to be no argument about that. He'll be a first ballot instantaneously. 
I mean, so I, I think you should just induct him now. Literally, I, I the, way, the waiting period makes no sense aside from the fact that he may come out of retirement if he gets bored. Which again, we say that jokingly, but low key, if he were to do that, I don't think either of us would be surprised just because we know he can. I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised for a, with for a situation like this, right? For a no doubt. 100% unanimous. I feel like those guys should get in upon retirement. Like, why go through the whole voting process, take up a spot? Like, I know there's tradition, but there are certain players in sports history that when they hang it up, it should be like a, you're in. Like a jacket, a bust should be made, like, relatively quickly. Like, to make, again, just, just for the sake of, like, there are other members that, like, have to be voted on. Yeah. There's no voting process for him. There's no knocking on the door. Hey, by the way, you made the Hall of Fame. We know. It, yeah, it's, it's not even definitive. It, yeah, it's not even a discussion because with some of these guys, you can kind of make like, well, should they get in? Should they not? Exactly. As far as I'm concerned, Brady should literally have like a whole wing of Canton devoted to just him. I, because, I, I wouldn't say a wing, but a section. Yeah. I mean, if he's the goat across the board, maybe, <laughs> maybe too many. That's too many goat materials. His last touchdown pass, the touchdown pass where he broke the record. This is the jersey that he won, winning his seventh Super Bowl. Oh look, this is a sock that he wore in his first NFL game. Like, you can't have a whole fucking shrine. You can have a, you know, a good little couple cases around. But don't, 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 don't fuck up Canton for me, man. I want to go there and I want to enjoy myself. I don't want to sit there and throw up in one section. You know? I, I, I understand. I trust me. I, I'm aware that. uh Brady caused me a lot of pain. Let me live. I understand. I got that. So I enjoyed it, though. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. If, we got to talk about some other people. That's true. Uh, so up next, we are going to focus on some offseason news in the NFL and some big news coming out of Denver with the Broncos getting their new head coach in Sean Payton. So uh, Sean Payton had been out of the NFL out of the uh, coaching realm for the last couple of years, but he's going to make his return back to head coaching as a member of the Denver Broncos. And look, when it comes to the, the Denver Broncos last year, they were not that good. They were a major disappointment. Kev, I remember we discussed them last year before the season had started, and we were legitimately thinking that they could be in a Super Bowl contention just based off of the overall roster before the season had started with the defense that they had with Russell Wilson basically hitting the prime of his career just based off of age. And it just went up in smoke based how they finished. I believe they finished five and 12 last year. So it was not a pretty picture uh, for Denver last year, but with Sean Payton going in, could there be a culture change? And that's where I think uh, we're, we're going to pose the question. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, what sort of changes do you think that Sean Payton can bring to the Denver Broncos this upcoming season? based on how the Broncos played last season? Well, I feel like anything is an upgrade from Nathaniel Hackett. It's not an insult to Nathaniel. It's not to say that he's not a competent offensive mind. It just it wasn't working off the rip. Now, whether or not that's Russell making bad decisions, whether that's play calling, time management, uh, front office decisions, it makes no difference. The first year was an absolute flop. The front office was laughable in terms of the decisions that they made, and they almost look comical in terms of, uh, you know, how much they gave up to get Russell, right? So I'm going to piggyback off of that and say, Sean can make a big difference. The mind, the experience, the pedigree, veteran head coach, played with Drew, or coach Drew Brees and a number of other Hall of Fame caliber players, won a Super Bowl. Again, this is a different kind of pedigree than a first-time head coach. So I think that, yes, even if they win one more game, which I don't see happening in terms of just being one, I think they can win a significant amount more. 
if this fails, if Sean Payton cannot turn this around, there are two narratives that are kind of come, that are going to come away from this team. One, Denver's front office needs to be completely reevaluated because they gave up four first round picks for Russell and Sean Payton combined. I believe three or four second round picks for Sean Payton and Russell Wilson combined. So they are the definition of all in. And if they fail, there needs to be repercussions. You need to reset that entire front office. I'm not saying ownership, even though they've already sold the team or ownership is up for sale, whatever the whole situation is in Denver. We need to sincerely look at that front office and say, we just made two horrible decisions in back-to-back years and got rid of most of our future for the next three to four seasons. On what earth does this make sense for you to give up everything for a guy that hasn't coached in three years, two years, whatever the case may be? Again, I'm not saying that he's a bad coach, but there are a lot of things going on in Denver. And to assume that one person can fix it all in the AFC West, to me, is a little foolish. I know that you need to, to, to rebound off of last year. I know that you need to, to, to remedy what the, the injuries are, not the injuries, the mistakes that you made. But to give up more of your future for another gamble season with Russell Wilson, which leads me to my second point. If this flops, Russell Wilson's career is going to get a drastic narrative change from one of the best quarterbacks of all time in the era he played in Seattle to, was that all Pete Carroll? And that Seattle system, or was that Russell Wilson just coming off of the cliff? Like, you know, as he got older, did he just completely drop off? Because we saw signs in the last two to three games of the year where Russell played a lot better. Now, that could have been because of the coaching change with Nathaniel Hackett getting let go and whatever. The point is, there are a lot of spinning headlines right now revolving around Denver, and most of them are horrible. If Sean Payton falls on his face, and Russell Wilson does not perform to the way that he's supposed to, that Denver entire, that whole executive board, everybody that makes critical decisions, even even the janitors that clean the sweet boxes, everybody's got to go. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You trade damn near your, your next four or five years worth of picks for a coach and a quarterback that played horrendous last season. Heaven forbid it happens again, heads will roll. Kevin, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if they're going to be able to. Because let's look at the landscape when it comes to the AFC West. Because check this out. You know, Sean Payton is going into a division where you have to contend with the Kansas City Chiefs, the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Las Vegas Raiders. And all three of these teams, I think, can compete at a high level. Granted, the Raiders, uh, they definitely, I think, fell below expectations with their play last year. But I still believe that there's some potential with that team as a whole. But let's look at the Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to another Super Bowl. They've gone to what? Three Super Bowls in the last four years. Patrick Mahomes is on this historic pace to start off his career. And he's being led by one of the best coaches in NFL history and Andy Reid. Okay, that's team one. You got the Chargers. Chargers made it to the playoffs this year. Great that they had that epic collapse against the Jacksonville Jaguars in the wild card round. But you got to go up against Justin Herbert, who is no scrub at the quarterback position. And if they recover from their injuries, like they sustained this year, the amount of injuries that the Chargers had this year was just utterly ridiculous. And they still made the playoffs. If they come back healthy next year and they stay healthy, relatively speaking, for 
most of, if not the entire year next year, they're going to be a tough out. And then when it comes to the Raiders, I think the Raiders are going to make a legitimate push to try to trade for Aaron Rodgers this offseason so that they can link up Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams uh, going into next year. I think they're going to make a legitimate push since they're moving on from Derek Carr. I think they're going to try to go all in on Aaron Rodgers. And if that is the case, we could just throw that as a hypothetical. You're talking about three competent quarterbacks to contend with in that division alone. And you've got Russell Wilson, who, by all accounts last year, just played poorly. And that's kind of putting it mildly. There were just some games where he was just flat out awful. It got to a point where members of the offensive personnel were visibly frustrated with the lack of production that Russell was displaying game in and game out. And this is all the things that Sean has to contend with going into next year. And that's just externally, internally with the team. They have to improve their offensive line. They gave up over 60 sacks as a team last year. I believe Russell Wilson got sacked 55 times last year. And that's on the offensive side of the ball. So Sean at least has some experience in building up an offense because he does have the the cachet and the experience with what he was able to do with Drew Brees when he was in New Orleans. But I'll be flat out honest. I think the level of competition that Sean's going to have to deal with in the AFC West compared to what he had to deal with when he was a member of the Saints when they had to compete against teams like the Bucks, the Panthers, and the Falcons. This is a night and day difference. I don't think the NFC South could really contend with the powerhouses that we have in the AFC West currently. And look, I want Sean Payton to succeed in that role as the head coach for the Broncos. Because if you have all four of those teams who are competitive in their own division, you're going to have some really good football in that division going into next year. And then maybe years after. But if he falls short, Kev, that there's going to be some major wholesale changes, uh, not only on the team itself, but the front office. There's there's going to be some wide-ranging changes if this doesn't work out in the long run. So I think that they found a really good guy to work with in Sean Payton. Sean Payton has Super Bowl pedigree. And I think bringing that type of pedigree into a situation with the Broncos, who desperately need it at this point. I think they made the right decision. And now it's on Sean to find the right personnel on the coaching staff. And then hopefully he's able to instill some confidence in the players. And if he could do that effectively, Dever could go places next year. Because when you look at this roster on paper, this could potentially be a pretty solid contender in the AFC. They didn't play it like it last year. They fell incredibly short. But if they play up to their potential, this is a team to watch out for. But time will tell, and we're going to see what happens. So what we're in February right now, uh, I think uh, OTAs are in a couple months. We've got the draft in April, and then we got training camp in July, at the end of July and then going into August. So he's going to have his work cut out for him, and we'll just kind of see where it goes from here. But that's all I have to say about Sean Payton. Yeah, there's a lot of spinning narratives, but I mean, I feel like we've said enough about him. It's kind of just wait and see and, you know, who he hires on that staff and who he's going to bring on will be yeah. kind of the next question mark. But there is a coach that we need to talk about that is currently in the Super Bowl, ironically enough, coached a large portion of his career for the other team. 
So we're going to talk about Andy Reid really quick and the significance and impact that he has held on the NFL. So Kyle, if you want to kick this one this way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Andy Reid, head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, has led KC to another Super Bowl appearance. Obviously, he's done a phenomenal job in building Patrick Mahomes to where he's at and just instilling confidence, not only in Mahomes, but I think the rest of the team. The Chiefs have been a powerhouse in the AFC for basically five years at this point. And with him at the helm for the foreseeable future, because I don't really see him leaving that coaching spot anytime soon. Uh, Andy Reid definitely has the potential to improve his stature, uh, not only in the coaches that we see in present day, but in NFL history as well. So Kev, to kick this one to you, how would you assess Andy Reid's coaching stature, not only in present day coaching, but in a larger extent in NFL history with him leading the KC Chiefs to another Super Bowl appearance? I mean, you have to talk about him in such a high regard. I would probably place him in probably the top five coaches of all time. I know that's a bold statement, but just because of what he's been able to do with two separate franchises, I believe he's the only head coach in NFL history to have 10 wins for two franchises in the postseason. That's incredible. He's hosted up, well, not hoisted, because he fell short in Philadelphia against the uh, against New England Patriots in 03 or 04, whichever year that was. But I mean, in terms of consistency, he led the Eagles to six division titles, five NFC championship games, including four consecutive from 01 to 04. He has coached a magnitude of future Hall of Fame players and has produced at a high efficiency rating in terms of making the playoffs, having good offenses, and so on and so forth. I mean, look at the list. Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick at the tail end of his career. You were able to work with Terrell Owens for that year or two. You were also able to work with Brian Westbrook, Brian Dawkins. I mean, Jason Peters, the names of these these, these, these people are Hall of Fame caliber players. We all know that most of the people that I just listed are already in the Hall of Fame if they haven't been already. I mean, Donovan McNabb may kind of get in as time progresses, but Brian Dawkins in the Hall of Fame, Terrell Owens in the Hall of Fame. At some point, you can make the argument Michael Vick probably won't make it, but in terms of what he was able to bring to the game outside of Atlanta, the, the talent is there. The coaching pedigree is there. And then you go and you leave Philly, you go to Kansas City, and you make the playoffs with Alex Smith, who people said was washed coming off of San Francisco. Then you groom Patrick Mahomes, into which you're in the situation now. Five consecutive AFC championships, three Super Bowl appearances, one win, one loss, and you're going for the third one right now. You're going for whether a win or a loss, obviously, but you have one of the greatest, if not the greatest, quarterback prospect that has ever come into the league. You couldn't have asked for a better situation when it comes to Andy Reid. You couldn't ask for a better guy. I mean, everybody talks so highly of him in the locker room. Former players love him. It's honestly incredible to see that this man has done it for two organizations over the span of 30-some-odd years, maybe even 40. And he's just won. That is what Andy Reid has done. He is a winner. Playoff appearances. Now he's got the Super Bowl championships and appearances in the Super Bowl. I think that when you talk about Andy Reid, as, how, as long as he has coached, as the players he has coached and developed, and as how they have transpired as their careers come to closes, I, you can't, you, you seriously, like, look what happened to Philadelphia when he left. Yeah, Chip Kelly, that, fa- that, 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 that failed horribly. I don't even know who the hell came after Chip Kelly. The point is, the Eagles took a massive dive after Andy Reid left. 
And then you bring in Doug Peterson. They win a Super Bowl. They're in the playoffs, yada, yada, yada. And now they're back with Nick Sirianni, which is a whole other conversation for another day. Which, ironically enough, Sirianni coached for the Chiefs back in the day. And now he coaches the head. Now he's the head coach of the Eagles. And of course, Andy Reid coached the Eagles. And now he's the head coach of the Chiefs. It's kind of just like a weird flip flop here. But the narrative of what Andy Reid means to football, where he stands in terms of the all time coaching rankings, He's, he's got to be up there for top five, if not top 10, because I obviously know Bill Belichick is there, Vince Lombardi is there, Tom Landry is there, um, and a couple of other Hall of Fame coaches that I'm not going to go down the list for. But again, I think Andy Reid is one of the greatest coaches to ever, you know, don the headset and, 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 and the clipboard. But for what he's doing right now, and if he continues to do it, especially if he continues to win, he's going to continue to climb up that chart, especially in my eyes. Yeah, for me, I, I wouldn't say top five. I think that's a little bit of a stretch just because he doesn't have the the Super Bowl championships next to his name yet compared to some other coaches. I mean, look, Bill Belichick has, well, six, six. as a head coach, but he has a couple as a defensive coordinator. Um, You could look at guys like Chuck Knoll. You could look at guys like Tom Landry, Vince Lombardi. Um, who was the coach of the 49ers? When the uh, oh my god, his son is a is a coordinator or whatever. Uh, Roman, no, what the, Greg was Roman's a, father wasn't it? Greg Roman's dad or something I, like that. I, I, oh, I don't. I, I don't. Look it up now. I don't think so. I, I I think it's somebody else. But you have a coach from the 49ers um, who was leading the way during that Joe Montana era. I mean Jimmy Johnson. I mean. He was a great coach for the Dallas Cowboys. But when it comes to Andy Reid specifically, there you go. As far as I'm concerned, like all of those guys, uh, you can make a case as some of the top five head coaches of all time. But I do think that right. Andy Reid is definitely making a name from himself for himself. Look, when, when you're able to bring your team to multiple Super Bowls within a relatively short period of time in the way that Andy Reid has done, obviously – these types of conversations are always going to come up. And the one thing that I can always say about Andy Reed and his ability to coach is that he's just an offensive guru. And you put him in the situation that he was placed in when he was the head coach of the Eagles, they had success with Donovan McNabb. Granted, it didn't end in Super Bowl championships, but they were competitive nonetheless. And they just felt a little bit short in that regard. And then he goes to Kansas City. Uh, after 2012, uh, being the head coach of the Eagles. And I would say the first couple of years, the Chiefs were competitive. Were they winning AFC championship games? Were they going to Super Bowls before Patrick Mahomes? No, but they were still competitive. So it at least showed me that he was able to build a relatively competitive Chiefs team before Pat. And then once they got Mahomes in the draft, I mean, it's it's just basically it's it's all history now when it comes to what the Chiefs have been able to do year in and year out. Basically, before any season starts, when we do our preseason picks on who's going to win divisions or who's potentially going to compete for Super Bowls, the Chiefs are always in that discussion. And I know a lot of time we always focus on Patrick Mahomes just because he's the progenitor of the offense. He's the guy that is really pushing that offense forward. But it's Andy Reid who's coming up with those game plans, who's coming up with the play designs, who is calling the games and doing an effective job to put Patrick Mahomes and the rest of that Chiefs offense in a situation where they can win. And he's surrounded himself with a great coaching staff 
alongside him. To have Eric Bieniemy as his offensive coordinator, to have Steve Spagnolo as his defensive coordinator, man, those guys. You talk about those two in particular, in their offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. Those are guys that could potentially get head coaching jobs. I know Eric Bieniemy's name's been floating around for the past couple seasons to get a head coaching job. Steve Spagnolo is always a well-respected de- defensive coordinator. Could potentially pursue another head coaching job down the line. We'll kind of see where it goes with him. But just what Andy Reid has been able to establish and really the coaching tree that he's been able to extend from himself is phenomenal. And look, you know, Andy Reid has an opportunity going into next week in Super Bowl 57 to display that excellence at coaching and potentially bring another Lombardi trophy home to Kansas City. And if he's able to do that, then yeah, I think. I think a legitimate conversation can be had about him being in the top 10 of head coaches in NFL history. I think he will have earned it. And even if it doesn't work out for Casey in the Super Bowl, I think that you can make a very credible case that he's one of the best head coaches in NFL history. I'm not going to go out and say that he's the best, but he's definitely one of the best. There's no doubt about it. And if he sticks around for another couple of years and he leads Patrick Mahomes on the trajectory that Pat is on right now, We'll see where he can go. Maybe he can crack that top five if he can pull off uh, a couple more Super Bowl trophies. I think that it's definitely possible. But no, Andy Reid's a great coach. And I think there's more to be had uh, from Andy Reid's coaching career since he's only in his mid-60s. And I don't really see him slowing down anytime soon, especially when you have a quarterback like Pat. I think it makes his job a lot easier than if he were in a rebuild situation with another team. So overall... Andy Reid's a great coach, definitely one of the best of all time, and uh, we'll see how it goes for him in Super Bowl 57 next week. Yeah, man. I mean, obviously, you know, we have plenty of other NFL topics to talk about. We just wanted to give Andy Reid 100% the flowers that he's due for what he's done in his career thus far. And then, of course, we didn't want to really drown out the whole Super Bowl narrative. We kind of talked about our first glances, our first thoughts, but with it being about I want to say like eight to 10 days away still. Like, yeah. there's not really much of a point to kind of continue to reiterate the narratives and who's playing, who's not. When we get closer to the game, like Sunday, we'll give another a preemptive, you know, um, story about it, another discussion. And then, of course, Thursday before the Super Bowl, we got to talk about it. But yeah. we didn't want to just saturate the whole thing with what everybody's doing in the world right now, every narrative possible. So, with that being said, we will move into our top three. Uh, needs for specific teams in the upcoming season. So Mm -hmm. we are going to focus on the two teams that Kyle had mentioned in the beginning, which are going to be the LA Chargers and the Miami Dolphins. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start with the Chargers. So Kyle, I'm going to kick this one to you. The Chargers make the playoffs for the first time in Herbert's career. They fall short with the third worst collapse in postseason history. What are some needs that the Chargers have to build upon to be better than what they were this season? Well, there's a few things that I could factor in. If I were to list just three, in no specific order, let's go with number one. Number one, they have to improve their interior defensive line. So when we talk about the Chargers defensive line, obviously when you first look at it, you immediately think of somebody like Khalil Mack, Joey Boza. Like those are your edge rushers. Those guys are phenomenal when they're healthy. Unfortunately for both of them, uh, they had some injuries this year and they weren't as affected that I think the Chargers wanted them to be. But interior defensive line, they have to improve. And Kev, when we were talking about this before we started recording, 
the Chargers have one of the worst defensive rushing units in the entire NFL. They were like bottom of the barrel bad. They were like 27th, 28th in rushing yards allowed. And that was despite the fact going into this past season, there was a lot of hype and a lot of excitement about all the acquisitions that the Chargers had made defensively. And people were legitimately thinking that the the Chargers could have a top five, top 10 defense. And there were just games last year where they just got absolutely destroyed. I remember against the Jaguars last year, uh, the, the Jags go on the road to SoFi and just blew the Chargers out of the water. And that was before James Robinson ended up getting traded to New York. James Robinson ran all over that team. You know, and that's just one game in particular. There were multiple games where the Chargers, they just could not stop an opposing offense's running attack. So that's something that they're going to have to approve in the draft, maybe focus on in free agency this offseason. That's one area of concern. My second area of concern is their wide receiving depth. When it comes to their wide receivers, look, the first two guys, they're solid. You've got Keenan Allen, who's been in the league. He's a seasoned vet. I mean, Keenan Allen's one of the better wide receivers in the league. It's just unfortunate that it seems like injuries tend to plague him year in and year out, and it limits his effectiveness. But despite that, I mean, Keenan Allen's one of the best route runners in the game. He's always able to, to get separation. Mike Williams is a great deep threat as their number two option. But then after that, it gets a little weak. And we saw this year in particular when Keenan Allen and Mike Allen's, uh, Mike Allen, wow, Mike Williams are not in the fold. There's a little bit of a weakness in that wide receiver room. So overall, you got Josh Palmer, who's solid, but when he is inserted into that number one wide receiver option, when both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams aren't able to go, he's not really able to rise to the occasion and display those types of performances that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams is, uh, Mike Williams are capable of. So maybe they look into the draft uh, to maybe just bolster that part. And it's unfortunate just that injuries plagued the uh, the Chargers this year in their wide receiving core. I think if they, they had stayed relatively healthy the entire year, this wouldn't really even been an area of concern for me. But the fact that it was, and that some of these guys just couldn't step up uh, in their respective roles, you know, maybe the Chargers will look to that this offseason. And then my last point that I want to make is this has more to do with coaching personnel. We have to see better play calling from the Chargers offensive coaching staff. And, you know, we can look back to the Jags game in the wild card round with they just got off to this amazing start and then they just completely fell apart in the second half. Like that was a game from an offensive coordinator perspective that they flat out failed. They couldn't protect uh, Justin Herbert. They didn't get the ball out quickly enough uh, because the Jags pass rush was getting after him, especially in that second half. And as far as I see it, your offensive coordinators, your offensive play callers have to put your quarterback and the rest of the offense in a position to win. And there were too many times last year where, quite frankly, I don't think that the offensive play calling was appropriate in certain circumstances, in certain drives, and in certain situations. And this is something that I think is going to be an issue moving forward. Because when we look at Brandon Staley, he's somebody to me that could potentially be on the hot seat going into next season. And if things don't improve dramatically for the Chargers next year, there could be some rumblings about him potentially getting fired. And, you know, granted, they did make the playoffs this year, which is a step in the right direction. 
But I got to see some better play calling, and I have to just see overall better performances and better play calling selections from their offensive coaching staff going into next year. If they don't improve that, then I think they're going to have a very similar result compared to this past season. They may make the playoffs, but they may get bounced out in the first round. And I think this is one of those situations where they got to take that next step. They have to elevate and potentially compete for a divisional round. And if they really play their cards well, maybe even an AFC championship game. But those are my three aspects that I think the Chargers need to address. They definitely need to improve their interior defensive line. They have to improve their wide receiver depth. And they have to get better play calling uh, in their coaching staff, specifically with, with the offensive side of the ball. But Kev, I'll let you take it from here. So I completely agree with everything that Kyle said. Um, I'm just going to point out maybe two more things really quick because I don't want to repeat what he said. I would say that the Chargers also need to improve their tight end room. Outside of Everett, they don't necessarily have a blocking tight end or someone that's going to go create separation. I mean, Everett was great on third down. Everett was great as being a safety blanket like most tight ends are. But in terms of what the Chargers are known for over the last 15 to 20 years, they had Antonio Gates, they had Vincent Jackson, they had a, they had a lot of big bodies. And Everett isn't somebody that screams as a threat, you know, even if you're somebody that's more hybrid, like a like a Hayden Hurst for Cincinnati, right? Somebody like that. Uh, you're you're going to need somebody that can go out there and, and, and create some separation, get you some space. You're not going to get a Travis Kelsey every draft or a George Kittle, but you have to find a way to kind of expand the tight end room there. And then I'm going to go into linebacker. At linebacker, you have Van Noy, Tranquil, Khalil Mack, and Michael Davis. Outside of that, I mean, outside of Tranquil, Van Noy's more of a pass rusher, not someone that's going to go out there, drop into coverage and make a play, not someone that's going to wrap you up in the middle of the field 15 to 20 yards. Uh, Tranquil had a couple of good plays this year. I believe he had 95 total tackles and five sacks. So he he emerged later as the season progressed as someone that can play better. But Michael Davis, Khalil Mack missed some time this year. Joey Bosa missed some time. Again, those are more of pass rusher. But again, since they classify as linebacker, you are going to need a little bit more depth. I would tie edge rusher into that because when Khalil and Joey miss time, obviously at that point, that means that the majority of the pass rush for the Chargers kind of just disappeared. I mean, Joey had two and a half sacks this year. I believe Khalil had maybe, what did you say earlier, Kyle? I think like seven or eight. So, I mean, if you combine those two totals, that's 10 and a half sacks. The Chargers had, what, 40 this year. So, I mean, like that's a fourth Right there between two players, um, once, God forbid, players like that go down, you have to have somebody that's going to be able to pressure the quarterback. Again, I know that the Chargers were middle of the pack in that regard, but if I had to put a third, I would say backup rushers, backup uh, people that can get to the quarterback and create a, a problem for the opposing offensive line. But for me, again, like I said, that's got to be the tight end room. It's got to be the linebacker room. And then for me, if I had to put a third one, some depth behind Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, who we know have injured, uh, unfortunate hist- uh, injury, unfortunate history with injury. Yeah, I do have some breaking news uh, to send your way. I know we'll talk about the Dolphins in a minute, uh, but apparently I was just going through Twitter and apparently there is an arrest warrant out for Joe Mixon. Apparently, he pointed a gun at some woman in downtown Cincinnati uh, um, over like the last day or two. So apparently, the uh, the, the charge uh, that was listed against him is aggravated menacing. So great. So I will not um, fall into the media trap. We have no idea what the hell happened. We don't know what she did. We don't know what caused him to do it. We don't know if he was drunk. We will let it be. That, that's all. That's all I saw. I saw uh, Dov Kleiman. Uh, tweeted that out, and um, 
obviously by the time you guys hear this there may be some developments in that story but obviously you know when it comes to joe mixon joe mixon's a huge offensive catalyst in that offense for cincinnati and um i could see that he's uh starting off the offseason very well yeah very clearly, well right going back yeah. into his uh his oklahoma days yeah exactly so i know he kind of so, has well, a checkered history back then we will leave it at that and we have to go into our next team yep miami dolphins yep so uh, when it comes to the dolphins uh the dolphins uh, they, they'll have some issues that they need to address this offseason. But I will say, just to kind of reflect on their past season, they did make the playoffs. Uh, they made it as a wild card round team. Now, them specifically, they damn near beat the Bills in the wild card round in one of the most wildest games that we saw in the playoffs this past year, with Skylar Thompson damn near leading that team to one of the biggest upset victories in playoff history. But unfortunately for them, they fell a little bit short. Their offseason has already started, and they are making moves, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They have hired Vic Fangio to be their defensive coordinator going into next season. So I imagine that we'll see some more moves transpire for the Dolphins as time goes on uh, over the next couple months or so. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, what are some offseason fixes that the Dolphins need to address going into next year? I mean, first for me has to be, and I know I normally do position by position, but the Dolphins have a horrible cap space situation. You have Byron Jones, you have Xavier Howard, you gave Armstead a big contract. Obviously, you got to figure out what you're doing with Gusecki. You gave Bradley Chubb a bag. You have to figure out what you're doing with Jeff Wilson. There is just so much looming with what Miami has to do with their pay uh, in terms of who they're paying. There's there's too big of a narrative to figure out who you're bringing in. What are you going to do for the future? They're just like, do you trade Byron Jones since he hasn't been available? Do you give Xavier Howard a pay cut even though you just gave him an extension? Do you trade him away? What do you you just gave Tyreek Hill a bag? You're going to have to give Waddle a bag in a year or two. Like Miami has truly and honestly screwed themselves in terms of what they're going to be able to do financially. Then you have to make a decision on what you're going to do at quarterback. Tua goes down on an average anywhere from four to eight games every year since he's been in the league. Hand, ankle, fracture, concussion, whatever, right? You have to, if you're going to keep Tua, you have to have a safety blanket. And we know that Teddy Bridgewater, he hasn't been able to stay healthy the last couple of seasons either since he left New Orleans. So you have to find somebody more consistent there. Skylar Thompson did what he could in that playoff game, but he had two turnovers. He had an under 50% completion percentage in that game as well. So like, do you go with Skylar Thompson as your number two? Probably not. So I would say they need to go after a veteran quarterback in terms of having somebody behind Tua. And if he falls, he's going to be able to um, pick the team up. And then defense. I mean, at the end of the day, the Dolphins, as even though they were middle of the pack in terms of pass rush and sacking the quarterback, they just they could not get it going whatsoever on the defensive side of the ball. They went on like a six-game losing streak to close out the year, five-game losing streak, whatever it was. They couldn't stop opposing offenses. They couldn't stop the run. It just it became kind of a repetitive reoccurrence week in and week out. Did Xavier and Howard have some good plays? Yeah, a couple. Did some safeties have some good plays? A couple. But nothing that's going to say, we need to stop. They went and go, got to stop. Did they do that in the playoffs when it mattered the most? Yes, they forced a lot of turnovers against Josh Allen. But when it comes to total defense, 
the Dolphins have a lot of places that they need to simply improve upon. Again, you're going to need depth at the corner position. If you trade Byron Jones, you're going to need some depth at the safety spot. You're going to need some better pass rushers that are going to be able to get to the quarterback when Chubb is not available or having an off day. I know that Wilkins has some good games here and again, but for the sake of the argument, you're just going to need depth. Second, third level guys are going to be able to get at the quarterback, pin your ears back and do something. Offensively, you have Tua when healthy, which is just a looming question mark. You have Hill. You have Waddle. If Wilson resigns, you have freaking Raheem Mostert. You have a talented, studded offense. And when Armstead is healthy, you have a good left tackle, which is pivotal in this league. But since Tua is left-handed, in this case, it would be a right tackle that you're going to need. But the Miami Dolphins have a whole lot to improve upon. They started off 8-3. and three. Mike McDaniels was looking like a genius. They find a way to turn it around. Miami's finally competitive. Now look what happens. You barely, barely get in the playoffs. Tua is still in concussion protocol from the last few articles that I've read over the last few weeks because he just is still struggling with whatever that protocol is. And you're, you're just tied down financially. So, for, again, for me, it's got to be figure out what you're doing with your cap space. Figure out what you're going to do with personnel there. Got to add some quarterback depth. And then defensively, you got to make a decision on what you're going to do with Byron Jones and figure out what you're going to do in terms of adding some player personnel at that second level or even at that, at that, excuse me, at that first level within the pass rush and that linebacker, that first front seven. Let's make definitive decisions on what we're going to do there so that they can drop back into coverage if need be. But at the same time, if they need to go get the quarterback, they can do it as well. Yeah, but it's kind of weird when, when we look at the Dolphins because they got off to such a great start. And then they just completely faltered in the second half of the year. And obviously, you know, Tua going through his concussions, that didn't help. And it just sort of set the entire season on a tailspin, especially on the second half. Now, granted, they did make the playoffs, but I mean, battered and bruised going into that Bills wildcard game, that was an understatement. It's just, it seemed that they were just battered at the worst position at that quarterback spot. Now, granted, they damn near won that game, but uh, who's to say? Had Tua been in that game, had he been healthy, maybe he could have led that team to an upset win over Buffalo. But when it comes to the offseason fixes this year, Kev, I think the one thing that we have to kind of consider with the Dolphins is that they still are a relatively young team. Across the board, you know, there are some veterans on this team, but I think that there's a lot of potential with this team over the next, I don't know, three to five years. I think it'd be safe to say. And you know, I guess if I had to really kind of point to one area where I think there needs to be some improvement this offseason, and when I say improvements, this is something that I think that could be improved upon over the next couple of years or so, is I just think that the coaching decisions have to be a little bit refined here. Because, look, when it comes to Mike McDaniel, this was his first year as a head coach in the NFL. Obviously, he had some great success in San Francisco. He comes over to Miami. And there were points even throughout the games last year where sometimes you would get a camera angle where he's talking to some of the offensive player personnel. It could have even been Tua. There was one video I saw in particular where I think he's talking to Tua and he said that he had screwed up in some sort of play call or some sort of decision that he was making in game. And look, when it comes to Mike McDaniel, Mike McDaniel is one of the youngest head coaches in NFL history. Mistakes are just going to come with the territory with somebody who's not even in their forties or fifties. So He's still learning. He's still going through that process of trying to become a better head coach. But I think the players know the situation at the, the head coaching spot with him, you know, being inexperienced. And I think that, 
you know, as a unit, they will improve as time goes on. And as Mike McDaniel gets more head coaching experience, I think those mistakes will kind of fall away by the wayside. They won't be as prevalent moving forward. And I think as a whole, I think the Dolphins, if they're able to improve their status at the quarterback spot going into next season, obviously we'll see what happens with Tua. We don't know what his status is going to be next year. But as far as I see it, I think the Dolphins will be a more competitive team than they were this year. The biggest thing is is that they're going to have to limit their injuries. And that's something that you just can't do in the NFL. You can mitigate it as best as possible. But it just seemed to me that some of the things that really hurt the Dolphins this year was more injury-related. And after a certain point, you're not going to be able to compete at a high level when injuries are just so prevalent. So, and it happened to be at the worst spot at the quarterback spot. So overall, you know, if I really had to point to one off season fix, um, it would maybe to improve their pass rush as well. See if they can try to get out of like that middle of the pack where they, maybe they could try to get around 50 sacks as a unit next year. But yeah, outside of that, I think it would mostly just be predicated to try to improve just the, the day-to-day play calling that we see from the dolphins as a unit. But overall, I think they're a, a pretty solid team moving forward. They're still relatively young and I think they have some potential. They just have to kind of correct some of these mistakes that kind of come with the territory with younger players and with younger coaches uh, at the helm. So that's how I see it. Plenty of news in the NFL, man. Obviously there, we have so many more teams. We've only covered four out of 32. We're going to be doing this every week, bringing you guys what, again, our professional opinion on what we think that these playoff teams as of right now that have been eliminated and so on and so forth for teams that didn't make the playoffs, what they're really going to need to build up for the next season. We yep. saw a lot of promise and a lot of teams we haven't seen in years. I mean, look at Detroit. Chicago's got a lot to build off of with Justin Fields. I mean, Cincinnati just two years ago was a team that was number one overall in the draft and picking, and now they're back-to-back Super Bowls. I mean, look, look at the epic collapse in L.A. <laughs> the Rams won the Super Bowl, and we're like 5-14, and 14, not even, excuse me, 5-12. 5-12. and, 12. Five five and 12. 12. I can't add, you know what I'm saying? The whole New York education system kind of failed me, but that's neither here nor there. Um there's just so much we have going on right now. We're excited that just because the season's come to an end after the Super Bowl in a few days, this does not mean we're not going to have things to talk about. But there is a sport right now that there is a looming number of narratives spinning all around Twitter and everything else in terms of social media, and that's going to be the NBA trade deadline. Yep. So, Kyle, we're going to talk about buyers and sellers. Um, guys, what we mean by that is who do we think needs to make a move in terms of who needs to buy at the deadline? And then teams that are just not going anywhere, that maybe have some horrible contracts and some valuable players that they need to maybe offload and try to put them in better situations for the future, which are going to be the sellers. So, Kyle, what do you got for me? So, do you want me to set up the question for you? Oh, whichever one. I, I, I just I wanted to ask pretty much, I guess. Yeah, set it up this way, and then I'll give it back to you. I was My bad. That was okay. horrible. Yeah, yeah no, no, you're good. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Kev pretty much just laid it out for you guys. So, this is going to be pretty simple, you know. We'll have some teams that focus on potentially acquiring some players for the trade deadline, and then we'll focus on some teams that are going to be selling, that are going to be offloading some players uh, for the trade deadline, or we're going to do as best as we can uh, to pick those potential teams. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, who do you think are going to be some teams that are going to be in a position to acquire some players at the trade deadline, and also some teams that are going to be looking to offload some players going into the trade deadline? 
Well, for the sake of this segment, I'm going to do one and one, right? One buyer for me is 100%. It has to be the Portland Trailblazers. They just made a public statement a few weeks ago about still being committed to building around Damian Lillard. You have yet to build anything around him since CJ McCollum has left. I mean, you went and re-signed Anthony Simons. We just talked about this the other day. Obviously, you have Josh Hart and a couple of other players. But do you have enough assets to go and acquire somebody, whether that is future draft picks, whether that is trading Anthony Simons? You need 100% a committed number two star. Do you go out there and you try to get Zach Levine? Are you going to go out there and try to get more of a competent big? Are you going to maybe package Jeremy Grant to go out and get another wing? Do you go try to package something for Kyle Kuzma? Do you go after Kevin Love? Like There are so many names out there that you need to pay attention to because the Portland Trailblazers right now may be sitting at 11th or 12th in the Western Conference, but for the sake of the conversation, they're merely three or four games away from being a top eight team in the NBA because there's just such a big backlog between seeds five through 11. So for the sake of the conversation, if Portland does not buy in terms of they don't go after somebody, and I don't mean a tiny trade. I don't mean somebody that's going to come off the bench at the eighth spot or maybe a backup big for Jurkic. You need a significant splash to show Damian Lillard at 32 years of age, you're not wasting his damn time. And in terms of sellers, it's got to be coincidentally, we just talked about him, Zach Levine's team, the Chicago Bulls. They tried to assimilate a big three of their own with DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Nikola Vucevic, and even going out and acquiring Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. That has not panned out whatsoever. Yes, they made the playoffs last year, but each of them outside of DeMar DeRozan has had significant injury history. Alex Caruso was hurt last year for a little bit. Zach Levine's been in and out of the lineup. Obviously, Lonzo Ball's been dealing with a knee injury for the past two years. Vucevic is just a shell of himself from what he was in Orlando. This just was one of those big acquisition off-seasons or trade deadline acquisitions a few years back that just... It aged poorly. Zach Levine has been linked to the trade deadline the last <clears throat> the last two to three years since he's been in Chicago. Each time he's remained with the Bulls, whether that's because of a contractual obligation, because they couldn't find the right trade package or what, Chicago's got good young pieces. Aside from DeMar DeRozan, of course, and Vucevic, each of those players has a lot of years left. I mean, the only issue is they just have a checkered injured history. So if you're going to go and trade somebody, it's got to be somebody that's currently healthy because I'm pretty sure in the NBA you can't trade somebody while they're hurt. And if not, they got to figure out what they're doing because there's just absolutely no way they can win with what they have now as it's currently standing. Yeah, for me, um, when I could get to my buyer and sellers, I'll, I'll do the same thing that you did. I'll just pick one team that it's going to buy and one team that I think that's going to sell to offload some players. So I'll start with... Uh, my team that's going to focus on trying to acquire somebody uh, before the trade deadline. And I, I'm going to go with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, I think, are in a position where I think they need a move to shake up the roster a little bit. Because, I mean, let's face it. Golden State is coming off of a championship last year. You know, that group of Steph, Clay, and Draymond, they have four championships to their name. But this year has been a struggle. And you could definitely tell the injuries have been a prevalent part to their lack of success this year. But even when they're on the court, they just haven't been as effective and productive as they have been in years past. You know, you're still getting good contributions from Steph and Clay and Draymond. But to me, uh, there's definitely some room for improvement on the back half of the roster, especially from the bench. And I think when it comes to the Warriors, 
uh, one person that I'm looking in particular to possibly improve not their offensive capabilities, but their defensive capabilities is Matisse Thibel. Um, I was reading some reports before we started recording that teams like the Warriors and the Sacramento Kings are interested in Thibel. And Thibel definitely brings a defensive presence that I think the Warriors are lacking right now. Because when we look at the last couple games that the Warriors have been playing of late, they have been giving up some pretty big point totals. I believe they played the Timberwolves a couple days ago, and I believe they gave up over 125 points. And, you know, look, Golden State could score, but if you're giving up over 110 to 120 points per game on the defensive side, that's not a winning formula. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors are going to be in a position where they look to acquire somebody. And I know Matisse Thibel's name has definitely come with some reports and We'll just kind of see as we get closer to the trade deadline since we are a week away from that trade deadline. And then for my sellers, I am going to go with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, the Raptors are underperforming this year. The Raptors are a sub-500 team, and there have already been a lot of rumors circulating about some of their personnel on their roster. We've seen guys like OG Ananubi uh, be involved in trade rumors. We've seen also Fred Van Fleet's name be mentioned in trade rumors. And if things do not improve with Toronto's season in any significant way, then I don't really see them being any sort of playoff contender or even a play-in tournament contender. Um, and that would be pretty bad because, you know, if you're not even in a play-in tournament situation, you know, you're talking about being the 11th seed or lower, which is essentially bottom of the barrel in the Eastern Conference. So if things don't rapidly improve for Toronto, I think that they could potentially be looking at some trade suitors to move off their contracts to maybe start a rebuild in Toronto. Um, I just don't really see it as a sustainable formula with what they have at their disposal right now. And it wouldn't surprise me uh, if they get the right offers from some teams that are looking at guys like Fred Van Fleet and OG Ananubi, that they could potentially pull the trigger on some of those trades and, maybe start a rebuild in Toronto. So yeah, when it comes to me specifically, I'm going to go with my team that's going to try to acquire somebody in the trade deadline as the Golden State Warriors, and my sellers are going to be the Toronto Raptors. That's just how I see it. A lot of moves, a lot of names. I mean, like Colin and I talked about, there's just a number of players right now that are circulating in the rumor mill, and the trade deadline is merely, well, by the time you guys hear this, six days away, but right mm -hmm. now it's a week away, so this will probably start to heat up the closer we get. Obviously, from rumors, it'll turn into definitives or, you know, like Shams and Woj like to just decide. It's always kind of just like a bomb, so to speak, especially with Woj. It's kind of just like, boom, they thought there was going to be one team and one person. It ends up being a completely different person to another team. It's the greatest day. Woj bombs are better than the NFL trade deadline. I'm going to say that the NBA at the trade deadline is so much more entertaining. I, I, I just have to ask you a quick question. How active do you think this trade deadline is going to be just from where we stand at this point in time? I think we have to be optimistic because the last couple of seasons, there have been some moves, but there has been more hype than anything as opposed to actual moves being made. I mean, like I said, Portland's got to be somebody that's got to move. Dallas is somebody that's constantly in the trade market with Luka coming out and saying he needs some help. Um, we know that the Lakers have been linked to the trade deadline for a couple of years now. We know that LeBron James is not trying to continue to lose. Um, like you said, in terms of sellers, there's got to be somebody that's willing to offload something. Are the Clippers going to go and trade for somebody to help back up John Wall, help take some of that weight off of Kawhi and PG? We don't know. But I would assume, based on what we're hearing and what we have seen thus far in the NBA with teams needing a little bit of an oomph 
or teams needing a little bit of a, you know what, we're not going anywhere. We need to offload. We need to freaking just continue to build for the future. Maybe even Detroit because Bogdanovich has been linked to a couple of trades as well. I just, for the sake of my entertainment, my team aside, I would love to see Woj just blow up. Like I, I, I'll never forget. It was, I think, the first or second year I lived in Florida. There was a class I was taking. It was a, a public speaking class or something like that to where my phone did not stop vibrating because there were so many trades. It had to be 2015, 2014. One of those years where it was just like, somebody got traded. Someone's about to get moved. They just traded draft picks. They just traded contracts. Da, 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 da. It was just, bro, that was probably the best. I had to go to the bathroom like three times. I had a bad stomach, obviously, because when you have a vibration, it's not making a noise on the desk or it's not a ringtone. But I was just like, oh, my stomach hurts. I was sitting on the toilet bowl like scrolling like dude twitter was nuts and if you know me you know i live on twitter anyway so the fact that nba trade deadline was happening it was just perfect for me but to answer your question i'm hoping that it's going to be active just because we know a lot of teams need more players in there they're leading off to be kev i mean i feel you 100 percent, and and hopefully uh we do get that as we get closer to the trade deadline so i wouldn't be surprised uh if we really see these trades start ramping up potentially this weekend and uh Honestly, probably the next, probably like a day or two before the trade deadline. I, I think we'll see some movement. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see who gets moved. But um, outside of that, uh, we have one more segment to get to. Um, we are approaching the all-star break in the NHL. And when it comes to the NHL, granted, Kevin and I don't really cover this a lot. But I'm going to do my best uh, to cover really the teams that have been doing really well in the NHL at this point, and then compare it to the other side, to the flip side of teams that have just been utterly atrocious. So I'm going to do kind of like my winners and losers segment uh, for the NHL as we uh, basically head off into the all-star break, which is taking place this weekend. So Kev, if you allow me the floor, give me like a couple minutes and uh, I'll take, take it. it from here. So pop off, son. Yeah, so I'm going to start with my winners. Um, look, when it comes to the winners, I really only have two in mind here, and that is the Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes. These two teams have been nothing short of phenomenal to start off the year. When it comes to Boston, the Bruins are the best team in the NHL. Kev, they've only lost a couple games this year. They've almost won 40 games halfway through the season. I believe that they only lost like eight like in regular time. There have been some games I think they've lost in overtime, but they are off to just a frenetic pace. Their point total is astronomical compared to really the rest of the field. Their goal differential is just utterly insane. I believe they're plus 80 or higher in their goal differential. I believe the next closest team, I think is like plus 60 or plus 65. I may have that number off, but nonetheless, the Bruins are just producing at a high clip. And the only thing that I'll point to with the Bruins that is a point of concern with them is they did lose a couple games going into the All-Star break. Maybe it was just they were gearing up for the All-Star break and maybe they just took their foot off the pedal to get some rest before we reached that All-Star weekend. But it's another thing. If they go out and win the President's Cup this year, which is a very real possibility... Will they be able to shake the curse that comes along with that? Because teams that do tremendously well during the regular season have a tendency to fall short and fall short tremendously in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We, we, we could look back to a couple teams. Uh, we saw the Tampa Bay Lightning a couple years ago when they won the Stanley Cup. 
not Stanley Cup, won the President's Cup, excuse me, during a regular season. And then they get swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets in the first round of the playoffs. Now, granted, they went on to win a couple Stanley Cups after that, but you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt when you win the President's Cup. Is that going to translate over into the playoffs? Recent history doesn't really point to that. So Boston's got to be a little bit careful in that regard. But as of right now, they're definitely one of the winners uh, at this point in the season. And then my other team is the Carolina Panthers, the Carolina Hurricanes, excuse me. The Carolina Hurricanes are on a really good stretch right now. As from what I've seen right now, they are on a seven-game winning streak. And this is not their first big winning streak this season. Just a couple of weeks ago, they were on an 11-game win streak. And just the consistency that they've been able to establish throughout the first half of the NHL season, it's been phenomenal. And they're one of the teams in the Eastern Conference that seem to be going, I'm not going to say toe-to-toe with the Bruins just because the Bruins are so far ahead of everybody, but they are a team that is legitimately in the hunt. And if they can continue that in the second half of the season, then who's to say that we may not see these two teams go at it in a Stanley Cup playoff matchup. But if I had to focus on my winners right now, the two teams that I'd have to pick are definitely the Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes. My two losers... We're talking about the seller here. So these are the worst of the worst. I'm going to start with the Anaheim Ducks. The Anaheim Ducks are a walking embarrassment. And basically, I'm going to limit it to really just this one statistic that I found uh, when I was scrolling through the standings. The Anaheim Ducks have given up over 200 goals this year. They've given up 205 goals as a team while only scoring 120. Their goal differential Remember when I was talking about the the Boston Bruins being like plus 80 in the differential? You had to flip it the other way with the Ducks. The Ducks are minus 80. They are atrocious this year. They are going absolutely nowhere. They're a team that's essentially at the bottom of the pecking order in the Western Conference, and they are going nowhere fast. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some major wholesale changes with the Ducks this offseason if their lack of consistency in winning hockey games continues so not really a pretty situation with Anaheim and then if I had to kick it to another team that's a loser I have to focus on a team like the Chicago Blackhawks the Chicago Blackhawks are one of the worst teams when it comes to point totals this year they only have 34 points to their record this year if you look at their win loss and then overtime record they are 15 29 and 4 Um, they are just not a team that is producing at a high clip. They've only scored 118 goals as a unit this year. It's one of the worst offenses in professional hockey and kind of similar to what I outlined with the Ducks. The Ducks are just in the Blackhawks are in a very similar situation as the Ducks. And if they don't improve their situation moving forward, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more changes uh, in basically the whole Blackhawks hierarchy uh, going into this offseason, just their home record's atrocious, their away record is atrocious, and their their goal differential is almost minus 60. So not as bad as the Ducks, but it's still nothing to be impressed about. So I'll kind of just leave it at that. I typically don't talk about hockey, but I figured this would be a nice little switch up. And uh, as you know, we are approaching the All-Star weekend in the NHL, I figure it would be nice to touch on some winners and losers. But just to kind of round this out, Uh, My winners are definitely the Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes. And then my losers are the Anaheim Ducks and the Chicago Blackhawks. So I'll just leave it at that.
Appreciate the NHL roundup, brother, especially with me not being the most sound when it comes to hockey in general. Um, at this point, you know, we need to be more diverse. We've talked about this year in and year out. We just tend to struggle and get lost in the sports that we love. Yeah. So uh, it's just a matter of like staying consistent and on top of it as well. Yeah, because we mostly predicate most of our content around the NFL and NHL. But listen, I think it's probably NFL nice. and NBA. You mean what did I say? Did I say NHL? NHL? <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, one segment, and now now it's all hockey. Uh, no, you know most of our content is mostly NFL and NBA predicated, so that just kind of just kind of goes with what our interests are to begin with. But I think extending it out to hockey, uh, I think it's a nice switch up. And uh, you know, since we are at the All Star break for the NHL, I figure it would be a nice time to kind of plug in some hockey. Without a doubt. But I mean, other than that, that kind of wraps it up for us tonight. Um, not necessarily short and sweet, but something a little bit more efficient. We want to kind of just remain quick with our points. We've realized as time has progressed, some of our longer episodes kind of sit at a specific level, meaning like it's not really getting much traction. Nobody really wants to sit and listen to us babble for two hours, two and a half hours. So if we can kind of keep it quick, concise to the point, I mean, it gets you guys what you want quicker. It obviously gets us what we need to do in terms of efficiency, and it gives Kyle more, Kyle more time to edit, me more time to map out social media posts and things of that nature. So expect this style from us a little bit more unless we have a, a guest, of course, or unless we have like like the trade deadline. When that happens next week, I would assume that we're probably, it, depending on the moves, because it's going to fall on a Thursday, thankfully, we, we're probably going to have a pretty big episode depending on what happens. Yeah, That's different. Good, yeah, that, that'll be a pretty... That'd be a pretty big episode because we got Super Bowl content to cover on exactly. that episode too. So that 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 I'm just telling you guys, gear up for next Thursday. It's gonna be or next Friday, I should say. Uh that Thursday night record when when Kevin and I get to do with what we do. Uh, it's gonna be a busy episode for sure. But uh yeah. no. Um no, I, Kev, is there anything else that you want to cover or you wanna pretty much wrap this up? No, nah, man, we can wrap it up. I know we got some shorts to record in the next couple minutes as well, and we both got some things to do. So, um, guys, without further ado, thank you so much for the support. We have hit over 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. We hit that feat, if I'm not mistaken, on Monday evening. It has been an incredible week. I mean, views, subs, uh, traction on social media, but the fact that we hit a point that we didn't think we were going to hit right away um, pretty big for us. Again, without my partner, we wouldn't be here without him putting out all the content as fast as he does the editing skills. Um, so we're just grateful for everything that we've received thus far, and, and we just cannot wait to keep going. Four digits, my guy. Four digits. So there we go. Now, now the it's on the two K next. So that'll be the next one. Yes, so, sir. But uh, no. With that said, you guys, uh, we'll wrap it up from here. Once again, thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate the support as always. And we will see you guys next week. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast 
where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid.